and this is going to be the summer of fun. Amen. But we are so delighted today to have with us some very special people who mean so much to the Tree of Life Church. And uh, they've been with us before a couple of times. And they hail from Paris, France. And we're so thankful that they are here. They have been connected. Go ahead and give them a hand clap. We're going to be welcoming them here in a moment. Amen. Thank the Lord. Brother Paul and Sister Darla Brochu have been missionaries to France and to Europe for a, a number of years. Actually worked with Brother and Sister Enos in Germany and in military ministries for a number of years. They also were the missionaries when Brother and Sister Dixon and the Dixon family were aimers to Paris just a few years ago. And, uh, and they are just wonderful friends to our family. We love them so much. And they've been a blessing to the Tree of Life Church on a number of occasions. Could you stand with me? And in a minute, when the service is over, we're going to invite you to, to give a sacrificial offering to the missions program. A love offering. We do this every time. It's a custom at Tree of Life Church that we bless the missionaries. Because when the missionaries come home to travel around the United States to raise some funds to go to the work that they're engaged in, uh, it's on their dime that they travel. And it is on, it is on the churches that they visit that uh, giving love offerings that help them along the way, sharing the gospel, preaching the gospel, and opening wide the gospel door to Paris, France. And I'm going to tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. I thank God for revival that's happening in Paris and around the world. And we can be a part of it today in Cincinnati, Ohio. Brother Brochu, will you come? Let's receive him with a great hand clap of appreciation. Praise the Lord, everyone. Let's clap again to the Lord. God bless you all. You may be seated. What a delight to be here today. I walked into this sanctuary, and it was like walking into an ocean of this living water that was so refreshing, and I'm still refreshed. If I went home right now, I can say I've been at church. Amen. I've, I've, I've felt the Lord. Amen. Thank you so much, Pastor Urshan, because it's our delight and our privilege and honor to be with you all today. Uh, as he mentioned, uh, you are not a stranger to us. We're very closely connected with a number of people here in this church. Brother and Sister Urshan, Sister Heidi, who we've known for many, many years, as well as her parents. Because Brother and Sister Enos were the ones who, um, who uh, served as a door for us to come into global missions back in 1990. Back in 1990. Now, that doesn't seem so long for some of us, but for some of you, it seems like uh, ancient history. But nonetheless, it's so good to catch up. Amen. Um, so I give all of you honor today. Brother Buller, God bless you, sir. It's good to officially meet you today. And, uh, of course, Brother and Sister Dixon and their four beautiful children. We met the youngest one yesterday for the first time. But this family was such a blessing to us when you lent them to us for an entire year. And uh, the work in Paris was at a, a point where I needed help, and this family uh, did an exceptional job. And in that same time, we grew to love them just as close friends, intimate friends. And so, and with all of you, um, I don't know who we saw the last time that we were here among you, because this is just a sea of faces before me this morning. But uh, God bless you for being here, and thank you for all of your kind words and, and, your, and, your, and the warmth and the hospitality that we feel. 
Amen. You know, the family of God is such a wonderful thing, isn't it? <clears throat> Has anyone been just slightly challenged by the, the, um, the circumstances of these past 18 months? Probably all of us. Uh, I can feel your excitement and your anticipation to get into this other building because I don't know where you would put uh, anyone else that would come along here <laughs> in this assembly. So we just were excited with you and we feel, we feel your passion and we, I think we can capture your vision this morning, Pastor. Amen. And I just I feel the hand of the Lord upon all of this. Amen. Praise the Lord. Let's clap our hands again to the Lord. tickle in my throat. <clears throat> Your pastor mentioned that we are um, appointed reps to the country of France, and we've been there for 26 years. Um, these last six years have been spent in the capital city of Paris, which is a town of about 12 million people. And what's so exciting about that is that until 2012, we did not have a church in the capital city of our nation. And that wasn't for lack of attempt. Many, many attempts were um, launched to plan to work in the city center of Paris. But in 2012, there was a prayer walk that took place on a winter evening in January in which that uh, prayer teams were positioned at 32 strategic points at the gates of the city, which are the exits off of the beltway that go around the capital. And those exits are called the gates, and that's symbolic, spiritually. And uh, prayer teams were placed at each of these 32 gates in an attempt to break the forces that were keeping the church from going forward. That was in January. In April, uh, the church uh, work was relaunched uh, in the reception room of a hotel there in the city center. Simultaneous to Sister Vesta Mangan saying that she felt the Lord telling her to go to Paris and to minister there. So the Novakis received her, and they brought her to this new church plant in which eight people received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Amen. That was the beginning of Paris Center Church. We move on to 2019, which was the last full year of activity prior to COVID hitting and shutting many things down. But in 2019, in the month of March, we felt to do a Jericho, a prayer walk around the area of our church in the 13th uh, district of Paris. Uh, and so we prayed and marched every night as they did around Jericho. And on the seventh day, Sunday, we went around these blocks surrounding the church seven times and came into the sanctuary and had church. And of course, the, the prayer time at the end of the meeting was given to taking dominion over our neighborhood. It was amazing because in the, in the four following weeks, we had 14 people receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. The following month, we received a delegation from Cincinnati, Ohio. <laughs> uh, I think it was the, 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 the church school at Calvary that had Sister uh, Stephanie Cup had organized a trip in which that your first lady um, and Sister Sophia were part of that group. Uh, they came to visit us. It was, um, uh, it was parallel to the burning of Notre Dame Cathedral. They were there that evening. We were together. We observed that together. But 
In the month of June, AYC came, and an entire group of young people came to minister in France, and they concluded that weekend with services in Paris Center. Our youth president was so moved by these North American kids that would save up enough money for this foreign trip to go and minister in a land uh, that they did not know, that they were foreign to. But uh, in the debriefing on that Sunday night, uh, my, our youth pastor, Andy, and myself were, were privy to that meeting where these North American kids, who were not ready for this dream to end the following morning when they were leaving Paris, began to testify about their experiences and, and, and about the impact that this trip meant to them. And our youth pastor was so moved, uh, it, it, it put a vision in his mind, uh, something that he coined Paris for Jesus, in which that he recruited youth from uh, six of our churches in the Paris area uh, to pray and target uh, evangelistically the city of Paris. There was a workshop that... Um, um, an entire Saturday devoted not only to prayer walking in all 20 of the districts of Paris, but there were also workshops this afternoon on how to penetrate into the various communities of our city. Uh, and these young people really poured their hearts into that. It, 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 it ended with a rally that afternoon. Sister, Sister Kendra Schock was with us and, and just rallied our youth uh, to, to really keep a, a vision in their mind of what God was wanting to do in our city. And you know, for any of you know, that know anything about Western Europe, it, it, it's just spiritually a very hard place because so many people mock the very idea of God. It's not that they're just agnostic. They don't, you know, maybe there's a, they are in, they are, they are militantly opposed to the idea of God, many of them. And, and, and current statistics in, in France are that 29% of the French population proudly profess to be atheists. A third of the nation. And so, how do we penetrate these communities? And it was the Muslim community. It was the Jewish community. It was the Catholic community. It was university students. It was LGBT community. It was, it was the homeless. It was just a whole list of about a dozen different communities that, that these young people had a burden to, to penetrate into and, and to bring this gospel to. And, of course, this was in conjunction with all the church had going to, to minister and evangelize. And so... Something was birthed in us, and, and it, was, it came back to me only this last week that in conjunction with the vision of the youth, and God bless the youth of this church, because the youth of this church is not just something in parentheses regarding the importance of this work, but you are key players, young people. And so... We went through COVID, and naturally everything shut down, and we reinvented ourselves online, and we did our best, and, and we actually had people uh, that became a part of our following that would have never come to a church service. And so uh, things continued to move. We did not lose momentum. But then when things, we went into our second lockdown last November, I told the church, we're, we're not going to not see each other now for however long this next lockdown is, because the first one, we were out of church for almost three months. We began holding a nightly Zoom prayer meeting at 9 o'clock, just 30 minutes for anybody who wanted to come together. And it turns out it was like having evening dinner with the family. We saw each other's faces every night, not just on Sunday. And there was a bond. There was unity. There was cohesion that really was, was never felt to that degree in our, in our local work. Our vision has been to take our city, but it was one district at a time, and, and we just felt like God was doing something through these prayer meetings. And so, and so we began to pray for the hungry and the thirsty. 
Because those folks are everywhere. Even in radically indifferent places to the idea of God, like Paris, they're there. And so we began to pray, and that was in November. Well, we we went through our annual time of prayer and fasting in January, and doors began to open, Pastor Urshan, in February that still blow our mind. The doors continue to open. There was a young man in February who came to one of our Sunday meetings, and uh, just a a sporty... uh, uh, really a cool-looking kid. He looks like he's 18. He's actually 33. His name is Felix, and he came down the center aisle just moments before the beginning of the service, and, and I was there at the front, and he was going to sit on the front row, but before he sat down, and he looked at me, and he said, Sir, it's, is it okay if I'm here? I'm, I'm Catholic. I said, We are delighted that you are here. We're honored that you're here. Come, enjoy the service. Let the Lord bless you. And so, he fully participated in the service, and, and, and afterward he told me, he said, you know, he said, I'm not looking to convert or anything, but he said, I'm just hungry and thirsty for something more. And when he said that, it resonated with me. We had been praying for the hungry and thirsty. It turns out he lives just a few blocks from the church, and he found us on Google. Everyone say God. This is a God thing. God is building his church. Unless God builds the house, we labor in vain. He almost received the Holy Ghost the next Sunday. He said, I have never felt God like this in my life. That same Sunday, there was another young, two young men that came together. They were Tamil refugees in France. Sri Lankan, uh, Hindu by religious tradition. And, you know, Hindus worship thousands of gods in their their concept of, of who's up there. Well, this young man felt something that he had never felt before in his life. And we have a relatively vibrant church as well. We're working our way up to being like what I felt this morning, but we're on our way. We're well in our way. But he could feel, he could feel a presence he had never felt. He hasn't missed a service since, but he would stand there and tears rolling down his cheeks and his hands lifted either in prayer or in worship. But within just Two weeks, I believe, he, was, he had repented and was seeking the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Well, a few weeks later, both Felix and Dirasan received the Holy Ghost in the same Sunday. We baptized them both in Jesus' name. A few weeks later, we had an entire, uh, an entire Sri Lankan Catholic family that had come. They were enjoying the services. They were looking simply to go deeper in their walk with God. Precious people, sincere people, God-loving people. God filled a number of them with the Holy Ghost. All four were baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. I received a phone call in February from... Uh, uh, someone who spoke English with, um, uh, with an Irish accent, and he said, I'm a retired minister. I've been uh, at a hotel in Paris for uh, a number of months passing through. He said, but I haven't been able to find any churches that are opened. And he said, uh, I'm calling you. He said, I'm starving for fellowship. Furthermore, someone stole my Bible in the train station this week. I'm without a Bible, and I just had compassion on this, on this old preacher without a Bible. That, that can't be. And so I met him that week in the hotel, and, um, and he told me, He told me, he said, you know, I'm 89 years old. He said, I am a survivor of the Auschwitz concentration camp. I was 14 years old when the Russians liberated this camp in 1945. My parents died there, but it was when I was in in some uh, repatriation program. He wound up in the U.K. where he converted this this Polish Jew, uh, converted to Christianity, or went further in his walk with God, I should say, 
to the revelation that Jesus is indeed his Messiah. He was filled with the Holy Ghost and for years was part of the evangelical movement in the UK, uh, involved in these Billy Graham crusades. He was personal friends with Corey Ten Boom as well. Just very active in his ministry, a, a man of faith, kind of a lion uh, type, just bold. And I felt honored to be with him. But the Lord spoke to me and said, the reason why he's here is because you've got something to share with him that will take him further. And I shared this message. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And this Polish Jewish brother said, I have been in Trinitarian circles all of my Christian life. He said, and I've never believed that God was three persons, but he said I could never explain it. He said, here it is. He was baptized just a month, two months, six weeks ago maybe, in the precious name of Jesus. And he's now in Poland ministering in a number of churches where he had contacts. Still, they've invited him to come to share this precious truth with them. You know, great things are happening in the world today. We ought not to focus on what the media is telling us. We need to focus on what God is doing. Because God is taking these adverse circumstances in the world in which we live to build a church built, a, built from the hungry and the thirsty that are looking for something more than life that has become pretty stinking depressing for most people. One more testimony, and I want to take us to the word of the Lord. This goes back, I kind of got ahead of myself with these recent testimonies here, but this goes back to 2019. Immediately, not immediately, just a few months after this AYC tr uh, trip came and, and uh, we got all excited about these various communities, I received a phone call from a Pentecostal elder in Finland, not of our, uh, not of our, our organization, but uh, a stranger who had found us on Google, Pentecostal Church, Paris, France, he found us. And he said, we've got people in your city that have been there for a week. They're on the streets. He said, but we have been working with them for about eight months. Uh, they're from an access challenge nation. I can't disclose where uh, from today, but he said they've been in Finland. They were forced to leave two uh, twin babies behind, and they didn't expect to be away from their home country for more than just a few months. They wanted to come to Europe to establish themselves and then send for their children, but that didn't happen. And then COVID hit, the whole works, everything shut down. But uh, these, these, uh, these precious Muslim people were there in Finland, and he said, my wife works at a refugee center and has befriended the wife. She's a medical doctor. Uh, her husband, has been, he, he had PTSD. He was in the hospital for the majority of the time in Finland, but immigration forced them out and was forcing them back to France because they had first touched down in France uh, when they were coming from their home country. And so uh, the convention, 2000 Dublin convention, 2016 Dublin convention, insisted they go back to the nation where they first touched down. That was France. They got to France, and French immigration didn't want to let them in the country and said, we have nothing here for you. But they were already expelled from Finland. They were in no man's land. So finally, immigration said, look, just pass through. We're not even stamping your passports. You're on your own. And so uh, what was so tragic about this is, is that this man had been um, um, uh, handicapped in a, in a work-related accident, uh, and he was 80% disabled. He was this Goliath-type, huge, 6'6", six, 6'7", six, six, broad, 
former national judo champion of his nation back a few years ago, and his, his wife is pushing him in a wheelchair. And their little three-year-old is sitting on his lap. And, you know, they've got their belongings in a couple of, um, not Walmart bags, but Carrefour, <laughs> for those of you that are familiar with France. And it was just our hearts broke for them because we looked them up. We found them in a parking garage of a train station where they had spent the previous night. And so, you know, we arranged for lodging for them. The, the church helped them, and we ended up putting them up for about a month uh, from where we invited them to come into our home. Because we developed such a, 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 a bond with these people, and they were so hungry. They said, you know, the only people that have reached out to us and done us any good uh, are Christians. And we are so moved by that. And so there was a trust. There was a trust that uh, developed. And, of course, we were, we were interested in them and immediately began to share our faith with them, which they readily embraced. Not even one month later, we were having our annual youth convention in France, uh, Probably about 1,200 people in attendance. Brother Aaron Bounds from right here in Ohio was our guest speaker, dynamic minister of the gospel. He was preaching that weekend. And on that Saturday afternoon, the very first service, Sarah received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. She was overwhelmed. She was overwhelmed. She said, I have never felt peace like this in my life. She said, I have served God out of fear all of my life. And she said, this is absolutely wonderful. And so her husband was very intrigued by that. The next morning, the next morning, this big old boy is sitting, listening to Brother Bounds preach his message. And Brother Bounds mentioned that there was so much uh, liberty in the Holy Ghost in the early church uh, that people even received the baptism of the Holy Spirit in their homes. They were healed in their homes. And when he said they were healed in their homes... Joe felt a charge, a sensation in his leg during preaching. And he starts to, he looks at his wife. He, he, he just wants to stand and assess what just happened. He has an idea. So the preacher gets done preaching. He stands and his leg is completely healed. Completely healed. He came in with pain. There was no more pain. He came in with a paralyzed foot. His foot was no longer paralyzed. He came in with a horrendous limp. His limp was gone. This big old bruiser stood up and received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. <laughs> you know, these testimonies I just shared with you, um, thank you for your patience number one, but number two, these are all out of people groups that the youth of our church had a vision for, to reach. And that has only occurred to us in the last few weeks that, you know, as we were kind of um, summarizing testimonies that we could share with the North American church, it occurred to me, we've got Muslims worshiping with Jews. We've got lots of university students We've got those, amen, out of the other communities that I've mentioned that are with us, worshiping God, and have been filled with the Holy Ghost. God is building His church. Let's all clap our hands to the Lord. He is so good. And let me say this before I finish with this. Um, through no small miracle in diplomatic circles, 
our medical doctor's sister, Sarah, was allowed to board a diplomatic flight between Paris and Algiers and refind her children. One of whom is handicapped. One of whom is handicapped. And because of that child's handicap, in that society there, in that society there, women are not allowed to leave their home without their husband or father accompanying them. But because her child is handicapped, she has permission. She has the liberty of moving about freely to accommodate her child, bring him to the hospital. And even this child's handicap plays its role because she, uh, she found that at the local hospital was her old roommate from medical school, another lady doctor who cornered her after spending some time with her and said, Sarah, there's something that's changed about you. She said, you've got peace. Your child is autistic and you've got peace. She said, there is light that shines from you. What are you doing? What have you discovered? And Sarah felt the liberty of sharing her testimony with her. The source is Jesus and he's more than a prophet. This lady doctor witnessed to another lady doctor, and Sister Sarah is currently teaching both of them a home Bible study on this precious experience. This nation has been a target nation for us for over 15 years because there was no known apostolic witness in the entire country. And today we have boots on the ground. Today we have boots on the ground. Praise the Lord for all of that. So thank you, Tree of Life Church, for your ongoing uh, partnership with us. You are partners in missions with us. You have been since 2010. And we are here today to thank you and to rejoice with you and to exalt the Lord who makes all of this possible. Amen? Amen. Praise the Lord. Let's stand together. Amen. I just want to take us uh, into the word of the Lord for our local needs here today. Um. And I would like for us to look together in the book of Exodus, chapter 1. I'm going to move along quite, uh, quite swiftly, I could, if I could say it like that. But I feel like I've got a message for you today. In the book of Exodus, chapter 1, I'm reading from the New King James Version, beginning in verse 8. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, look, the people of the children of Israel are more, more and mightier than we. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply, and it happen in the event of war that they also join our enemies and fight against us, and so go up uh, out of the land. Therefore they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with their burdens, and they built for Pharaoh supply cities, Pithom, Ramses, but, but the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. And they were in dread of the children of Israel. I want to tell somebody this morning, the devil is in dread over your walk with God. And may he may try to cast oppression on you, but you don't listen to him. Because he's bluffing you. So the Egyptians made the children of Israel serve with rigor, and they made their lives bitter with hard bondage and mortar and brick and in all manner of service in the field. And in all their service in which they made them serve was with rigor. Yeah. 
I like to serve the Lord with rigor. I'm not too fond of serving the devil with rigor. Thank you for your word today, Lord, and for your precious family, the church. Bless each one today. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear, Lord, what you have for us today. We want to walk in the fear of the Lord and with sensitivity to your spirit. Accomplish your will among us today. And fill the hungry and the thirsty, we ask, in the name of Jesus. God bless you. You may be seated. General Jonathan Wainwright was the only United States military general captured by the enemy during World War II. I realize Brother Enos knows this already. But the Battle of Corregidor in the Philippines was fought between the American forces and the invading Japanese military. Corregidor was the last remaining American stronghold, so when the Japanese conquered the island, the Philippines, the entire nation, soon went under complete Japanese control. There were months of conflict, but the Battle of Corregidor came to an end when General Wainwright surrendered to the enemy. Astounding. It was just astounding. The 11,000 American and Filipino soldiers who were conquered were shipped to prisoner of war camps near Manila, in Japan, in Taiwan, uh, in Manchuria, which is in northeast China. And Wainwright remained a prisoner of war for well over three years, almost four years, during which time he was humiliated, he was starved, he was mocked, he was abused. He was a prisoner of war. Japan surrendered to the United States on August 14, 1945. The war was officially over, but with over a million Japanese troops in Manchuria, the commander of the camp where Wainwright was held was very confident. As a matter of fact, he was cocky, and he continued to act as though that, 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 he, was, that he still had power. He was still in control. Until the Soviet army reached Wainwright's camp, a week later, the Japanese commander continued to maintain firm control over the emaciated prisoners. It was only after the Russians arrived on August 24th that General Wainwright regained total dominion over his surroundings. Can you picture for just a moment with me this Japanese commander watching Wainwright, a four-star general, during the week following Japan's surrender? Because he knew that he would soon switch places with Wainwright and, and that he would become the prisoner of his current captive. A fully armed Properly fed commandant with, with adequate military force at his disposal became afraid of the weak, emaciated, diseased remains of a crippled army and its limping general. Why was he afraid? Why was this camp commander afraid? Because he realized he, was, he really no longer had any real power over Wainwright. His only real power over Wainwright was to keep him ignorant of the truth that the war was over and that the Japanese had lost. That was the truth. Something similar happened in Egypt around 3,300 years ago. Pharaoh had absolute power over his empire. 
and he defeated every foe around him. However, he had one nagging fear, the might of the Israelites, if ever they realized their strength. I wonder what would happen here today if the church fully embraced who they are in the things of God. The Israelites, they were shepherds with no weapons. Humanly speaking, they were powerless. Pharaoh did not so much fear the people, but he feared the truth, which if discovered, would empower them. I want to tell you, there is liberating power to truth. He knew that if war broke out, he would lose. So he had to avoid confrontation at any cost. His power was based on a lie, or that is, it was based on deception, deceiving the people, deceiving the people. He had them believing that the Egyptians were more powerful than them. John says this in chapter 8, verse 32 of his gospel, and you shall know the truth. The words of Jesus, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And then John thunders in his first uh, epistle, he who is in you is greater than he that is in the world. Can someone say praise the Lord? So the core of Satan's fear is that people who make up the body of Christ, speaking about the church, will get the revelation of who they really are and will abandon their captivity mindset. Throw your captivity mindset out the window. Because at that point, the devil's kingdom begins to crumble. The church must learn to pray with authority, not as a POW begging for crumbs of bread, but as an advancing army that knows it's destined for victory. You know, the normal state of affairs between the church and the devil, Gavin, is war. It's just the normal state of affairs. Build a church and you're going to have a few bumps in the road. But praise the Lord anyhow. All through the Bible we see Satan trying to enslave God's people by hiding truth from them and dealing shrewdly with them, just as Pharaoh did with Israel. But we also see deliverance come every time God's people discover the truth and access His power through prayer and fasting and standing strong, standing on the Word. It happened in Egypt with Moses. It happened in Babylon with David. It happened in Persia with Esther and later with Nehemiah. It happened in the book of Acts with Peter and John and Paul. Truth was revealed. The people acted upon it and God dispatched angels to make it happen. Someone say praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. In order to break free from Satan's POW camp, I want to tell us this morning, we need to realize how we get there. But because he tries to send all of us back there at times. You know, Pharaoh knew that he didn't have power over God's people. And the devil doesn't have power over a single one of you today. Other than in his, his, uh, his, his ability to persuade through his voice. 
And so Pharaoh did just like the devil does. He resorted to his crafty ways. It appears to me he had a three-step plan. Number one was to keep God's people deceived to deceive them. The generation that had arrived in Egypt with Joseph, those who had first-hand information, well, they were dead. And Pharaoh never lifted a weapon against the Israelites uh, in his land. He simply kept the truth from them. Ignorance can, can be a powerful weapon in the hands of the enemy, you know. The God of this world blinds the minds of the unbelieving to keep them from coming to a knowledge of truth or a knowledge of the glorious gospel, of the light uh, of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If he can keep them ignorant, he can keep them lost. Because no one is going to get to heaven by accident. We're saved by the foolishness of preaching. We're saved when we are born again of water and spirit and live in accordance to the word of God. Has anyone here believed the lie that the power of God that we see at work in the early church is no longer available for us today? Hear me. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You know, some people have a theology of powerlessness designed to explain why God will not do what he said he would do in his word. And then they make decisions based on risk management principles. And they teach about miracles, but they've never seen one. They talk about revival, but have never experienced it for themselves. They study about prayer, but have never really seen anything change around them. They've allowed the battlefield that they are supposed to occupy to become a prisoner of war camp and they become content just to survive rather than overcome. We have been designed to overcome. It's in God's plan that you be an overcomer. Why else would he go to the cross? Why else would he go to such an extent? Step two in his three-step plan he dominated God's people. Pharaoh dominated God's people. You know, deception always leads to bondage. Believing a lie, it'll put you into bondage every time. The Egyptians appointed taskmasters to afflict the Israelites with heavy burdens. They wanted the Israelites to feel like there was no way of escape. And so today, Satan heaps all kinds of mischief upon God's people. Worldliness, immorality, infighting, divorce, rebellious children, lack of spiritual power, fear, fear. He wants us to become so preoccupied with his attacks that we stop resisting, that we become bitter, that we forget who we are and, 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 and what power that has been given to us. You know, with the mentality of a POW, we accept the idea that he has a right to abuse us. I've, I've pastored long enough and I've counseled with enough women that I'm reminded this morning that there are abused housewives that just feel like it's their due because they've stopped resisting. Pharaoh used the Israelites to build cities, helping him strengthen his position. And when we simply learn to cope, church, hear me please, I'm one of you. I live where you live. 
When we simply learn to cope with our bondage instead of standing on the word, taking dominion and overcoming it, then we strengthen Satan's kingdom. Is this okay? We remain his pawn. We strengthen his position. But there was a third step. You know, ultimately, Pharaoh just wanted to, to, to completely destroy them. Their identity, who they are, who they served. Pharaoh began by ordering all of the Israelite baby boys destroyed. Can you imagine that? You talk about heartless. And the genius of his scheme was that it combined death with life and, and abuse with false mercy because he allowed all of the baby girls to live. Oh, how kind. By letting them keep their daughters, Pharaoh appeared gracious. Like a prisoner camp commander who allows starving prisoners to celebrate Christmas with care packages sent from home. But you know, Pharaoh's ultimate objective was to destroy their fruitfulness. The devil doesn't care that you come to church here on Sunday morning, but if he can destroy your fruitfulness in the kingdom of God, then he will twist and shout. Why were only baby boys ordered to be killed? Because when boys grow up, they become soldiers. And Satan's strategy is to remove every reference to spiritual warfare from our vocabulary. He allows us to emphasize God's promises about our future in heaven, but, but he doesn't want us to talk about spiritual armor or the gifts of the Spirit that are available to us now, that have been given to us now. And these helps are vital to our success. You know, Pharaoh had created conditions of total chaos and despair for Israel. These people had been transformed from a privileged nation within the Egyptian empire into a nameless mass of slaves overcome with the most demanding tasks. And they were headed for extermination. First, Pharaoh deceived them. Then he dominated them. And ultimately, he tried to destroy them as a people. So hopelessness was setting in, and, and then the people prayed. And then the people prayed. <laughs> and they cried out. You may not know it, some of you, but when you cry out, you have got God's undivided attention. Oh, yes, you do. From the weakest to the strongest in this place, when you lift your voice to God, you have got his attention. Exodus 2, 23, now it happened in the process of time that the king of Egypt died, and then the children of Israel groaned because of the bondage, and they cried out, and their cry came up to God because of the bondage. So God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, and with Isaac, and with Jacob, and God looked upon the children of Israel, and God acknowledged them. God is acknowledging someone in this place this morning. You are not here by accident. I'm a visitor here this morning, so I'm going to take the liberty of saying it. If you're a visitor here today, don't think for a moment it was your brilliant idea to be in this service this morning. The Lord led you to this place because he's got more for you, because he sees your hunger and thirst. And with God, amen, with God, all things are possible. 
Only God can look into our confusion and make sense of our life and propose the answer that will set us free from the most horrendous and debilitating bondage that we can ever know in this human race. Prayer turned deception and domination and destruction into divine deliverance. Pharaoh's power was broken. God's power was released. And two million slaves were set free. Praise the Lord. Without prayer, the book of Exodus would have been limited to two chapters. Great when you're trying to get through a Bible reading chart. But because of prayer, another 38 chapters were added to testify of God's mighty power at work in the lives of his people. And we are his people. I said we are his people. Amen. Hear this. Israel had no army, no economic power, and no social status to help them. Their only weapon was prayer crying out to God, their ability to touch God with their voice and with their broken hearts. You know, interestingly enough, Jesus was never attracted to mockers and scoffers. But he could discern hunger and thirst from halfway across the country and make a detour through Samaria, though he came for the house of the lost children of Israel. He went into Samaria because of a hungry and a thirsty woman who came to the well, amen, to draw water every day about noon. And her life was a wreck. She was a five-time divorcee, but she was looking for something else. She was looking for a touch. She was looking for deliverance from her circumstances. And Jesus, Jesus... He put his GPS aside and went by way of Samaria to intercept a woman who was hungry and thirsty. Praise the Lord. So what makes the difference between a simple prayer and an effective prayer? Because in just a few moments, we're going to pray. Amen. I want to tell you what makes that difference. It is the faith and the authority by which that prayer is prayed. Oh, Jesus, I know you're kind and you've helped so many people. If it would be in your thoughts today to consider, listen. Luke 10, 19 says, Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and on scorpions and over all of the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. There is blood that we can plead today. There is a name that we can invoke today. And God expects us to take the initiative. I said, sir, God expects you to take the initiative. Because when man asks, God answers. And when man seeks, God reveals. And when he knocks, God opens a door. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. The kingdom of heaven suffers violence. And the violent take it by force. Back to General Jonathan Wainwright. Here before we close. When he learned that Japan had surrendered, because word had infiltrated into the camp before the Russians arrived, 
He went straight to the camp commander, Brother Enos. I I suspect you know this story, but he went straight to the camp commander and informed him, my commander-in-chief has defeated your commander-in-chief, and I am in control now. You must surrender. Tell that to the devil. Because you have a right to tell that to the devil. Because there is a liberating power in truth that will give you courage and that will increase your faith and give you boldness to assume your role of who you are in Christ. And without firing a single shot, the emaciated, handicapped prisoner of war general took over the camp from the strong and well-fed Japanese commander. I love that story. It gives hope to all of us here today. So how was he able to do that? Well, it's because the truth had set him free. The truth had empowered him. He wasn't a prisoner of war. His team just won the football game. You know, maybe you feel that you've lost your dominion in the face of all that is coming against you. And in life, we will have problems. All of humanity will suffer. We may suffer differently. Some people suffer with afflictions, physical afflictions. Some people suffer with emotional or mental afflictions. Some people suffer through economic afflictions. But all people suffer. All people suffer. Get that right. All people suffer. All people need a savior. This isn't about one culture over another. I learned that a long time ago in global missions. When you get to a foreign country, they don't pledge allegiance to the flag. They don't even speak English, and neither did Jesus. This is a universal message. This is a universal church. And I do pledge allegiance to the flag because I'm an American, and it's just part of of, of my American culture. But I can celebrate aspects of my American culture, but it it is not superior over my apostolic culture because we are apostolic before we are of any certain nationality. It's not going to be your U.S. passport that gets you to heaven. It's it's going to be because you've been born again of water and spirit. That's what puts us in this common culture. And that's why you can go to a foreign country and you don't know a soul and you don't understand their language but through the interpreter and you can worship God, amen, with these other people like you worshiped among yourselves today with full liberty, amen, touching the Lord with your brethren from around the world. I look at this assembly today and I have a foretaste of what heaven's going to be like. This is a beautiful assembly. What a wonderful representation of God's people that are here today. We pastor such a church, an international church. We've got, I don't know, maybe 20 nationalities among us. Food and Fellowship Sunday, once a month, third Sunday of every month, when everybody brings their dishes from their home church. Oh, my goodness. You would want to be at Paris Center Church that Sunday, too. And I think that adds to the... the, to the depth or, or the fiber of our church in that really there's no dominant culture at Paris Center Church. 
And Paris being an international city, it's positioned us to be able to have an effect not just on one group, not even one religious group. We were talking about Muslims, Hindus. We were talking about uh, uh, people of the Jewish faith, people of various Christian denominations, and people that didn't know God at all. Listen, the Lord is interested in everyone. The Lord is interested in everyone. And if you don't know it, humanity sheds tears over the same stuff regardless, regardless of the nationality, regardless of the color, regardless of, 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 of any other uh, 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 trait that you could have in, in your community, your people group, your passport, your language. It doesn't matter. We're of one blood. And the devil is against us. But the Lord has redeemed us. And we go forward. You know, Wainwright suffered great self-condemnation for having surrendered to the Japanese at Corregidor. And that only diminished um, after the war when he learned the truth and, and was liberated. You know, you may still be messing with mind games that the devil throws on you months or even years after your conversion. And that's okay. And that's okay. Don't let the devil throw condemnation on you. But you just work your way through that in services such as this one when you're reminded of what God has done for you. Times around the altar like we will spend here in just a few moments where you can plug back into the source, amen, and be recharged and let your vision be refreshed. God's not against you. God is for you. If you don't know anything about this today, you know, if I, <laughs> I wasn't raised in this, and your services were quite different from what I was raised in. And first time I came among you, um, it was pretty disconcerting. I was, I won't say that I was afraid, but I was pretty shook up. And, you know, it wasn't half the intensity of this this morning. And so if you're here this morning and you're not sure about any of this, you know, If you will keep an open mind to the Lord, he won't do you wrong. The Lord has never done anyone wrong. And he is patient. And he will be as patient with you as he needs to be with you. Because the goal is, it's not just to wave some magic wand. But the goal is to draw you into relationship with him. So that he can walk by your side in life. And ultimately deliver you from the dilemma of this human race. We're going home one day. We're only passing through here. We're going home one day. Don't let, the don't let the devil, don't let the devil deceive you and talk you out of what the Lord has destined for you. If you believe in Jesus, Jesus said in John 7, I think it was around verse 38, that this living water of his spirit was destined to all who believe on him as the scripture hath said. And so if you're here this morning, whether you've received this yet or not, maybe you've never received the infilling of the Holy Spirit. It's what will give you victory to walk with God. It's what will keep you out of the POW camp, at least mentally. But if you've never experienced that, know that the Holy Ghost was meant for everyone who believes, according to Jesus. And if you're a believer today, the Lord wants to fill you with his precious spirit.
He wants to adopt you into your family, his, into his family. And like any adoption, any adopted child gets the privilege of receiving the name of their adopted family. And Jesus will give you his name in baptism. And he'll wash away your past. That was most precious to me. He'll wash away your past and you will be set free as you act upon the truth that the Lord reveals or perhaps is revealing to you this morning. Would you stand with me? I pray that God's truth reminds you of who you are today. Because faithful, faithful is he who has called you who also will do it. I've reminded the Lord of that promise many times. Lord, you called me and you said you were going to do it. Do it for me. So in conclusion, we read in the epistles, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace. What's grace? That's unmerited favor. That's receiving a paycheck when you haven't even worked 10 minutes. It's unmerited favor. Come boldly to the throne of grace that you may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. And whether you need to overcome for yourself this morning or whether you're believing God for this city, overcoming the strongholds of the enemy that are upon this city, one way or another, the effectual fervent prayer of the righteous man avails much. Would you lift your hands and worship the Lord with me? Jesus, we reach out to you right now. Thank you, Jesus. Let's lift our hands and receive the word of the Lord right now all across this house. Hallelujah. Let's receive the word of the Lord right now. Hallelujah. 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 Oh, praise his name. Oh, praise his name. Oh, praise his name. Hallelujah. 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 The Spirit of the Lord is in this house. He's moving upon people right now. Hallelujah. And you know what? I, I, I don't want to take any more time because the word of the Lord has gone forth and I feel such a move of the Holy Ghost to open these altars and for somebody to respond to what God has spoken to you right now. Don't wait. Don't wait. Come now. That's it. Come now in the name of Jesus. Come on. That's it. God bless you. God bless you. The word of the Lord has come today. Hallelujah, from a vessel that has spent time in prayer and fasting, seeking God. Hallelujah, the burden of this man of God has been imparted in this house. Go ahead, come in the name of Jesus. That's it, that's it, that's it. The Spirit of the Lord is here to heal and to set free. Come on, that's it. Somebody that wants to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ that has never been baptized in Jesus' name. I'm telling you that the Lord is appealing to you now. He's commanding you now. He's drawing you now. Hallelujah. Ah, yes, that's it. That's it. That's it. That's it. Those of you who are wondering, should I go? Should I come forward? Yes, the answer is yes. Come forward. Come forward for refreshing. Come forward for reviving. Come forward for a healing touch. In the name of Jesus Christ. Yes. Amen, amen.
Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, blessing and honor and glory and power. Amen. Amen. I'm telling you, the Lord is here to set free and to heal. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Somebody needs to do exactly what the word of the Lord said. Come cry out unto the Lord. Cry unto the Lord. Amen. Blessing and honor and glory and power. Amen. 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 Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Victory has a name, and it's Jesus. The word has a name. Word has a name, and it's Jesus. The word has a name, and it's Jesus. Come on, lift it up right now. Lift it up right now. Be released in this house. Holy Ghost, release Victory miracles in this house. Holy Ghost, release miracles in this Jesus. house.
telling you that the Spirit of the Lord is here to heal right now. The Spirit of the Lord is here to heal. Hallelujah. There's some deep wounds God wants to heal right now. Come on, open up your heart and let him in in the name of Jesus. Open up your heart and let him in in the name of Jesus. Glory, glory, glory. 